完璧などありえないこの世界は不完全だから美しいこれは海賊王になる待ってなんとおいしさなの力を渡した時に言ったことを覚えているかいクレ違うそこじゃない変態遅い Hello and welcome to More Than Hentai, a podcast that is here to show you that anime is far more than just tentacles and catgirls. There's also countless stories of love, loss, laughs, hope, horror, and happiness that are just dying to be found. And I, Brendan White, the Salt and Pepper Senpai, am here to help you find them. More Than Hentai is proudly powered by 8bit.net and those sexy audio based legends over at Audio Technica. Go upgrade your audio game today. And joining me on this episode is a very talented individual and a writer who specializes in Japanese popular culture, anime, manga, and video games, with her words appearing in such notable outlets as Kotaku, Survivor, Games Hub, and Pedestrian.tv. Her taste for anime is as broad as her knowledge and fandom on the medium, with a few of her personal favorites being Himutu Umaru-chan, K-On, Kamisama Kiss, and Aku no Hana. You can find her on the socials at Courtney, which is K-O-U-T-O-N-I. Courtney Borett, welcome to the Riverside Studio. How might you be doing? Hello. Very good. Thank you. Very good. Excited to talk about anime. I am too, especially because,、uh, you know, getting to know more about yourself and, and digging into your background, you are one of the,、uh, the anime superfans slash savants slash probably most notable fans. Fountains of knowledge that I've come across in the Australian anime space. So it's、uh, good to have you on because I think I could probably learn a thing or two. I hope so. I hope I can learn as well. I, it's, I feel like it's really rare to be able to speak with people that have a wide knowledge of anime,、uh, especially in Australia. Yeah, we're,、uh, we're, 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 a growing, we're a growing country when it comes to, I guess, acceptance of anime, right? We've got a, got a fair few people in our collective circles, I'd say, that. That consume the content as well and, and all the fantastic things that、uh, exist with anim- an anime. But maybe we could start things off and get a little bit of your backstory and your history with anime, how you stumbled across this beautifully fantastic, loving, scary, sexy, whatever great noun or adjective you want to throw in there, medium known as anime, and we can, we can take it from there. So, I, like most Australian children, started watching anime on Cheese TV. When I was a, a wee girl, with, and I started with Sailor Moon, and I wanted to be Sailor Moon. I still want to be Sailor Moon. I think everyone wants to be Sailor Moon. She's、right? fantastic. She's the best. She's like cute and a little bit ditzy, but like cool as all hell. So I was like, as a kid, I was like, I want to be Sailor Moon. Then I got into Pokemon, and then Yu Gi Oh! And that was when it got really serious. I was like,、oh, really? Yeah, I was like 10 years old. I like would bring my folder of Yu Gi Oh cards to school all the time. And I didn't know anything about the game, but I was like, this TV show is so sick. And all my friends like, you are such a dork. And I was like, I don't care. I want to be a spiky head dude that wears leather. Like, that's all I want. I think, I think that's, that's a good fashion choice right there. Spiky hair and leather, <laughs> carrying around cards. Like, as long as you drop some. Some trap card based puns in there as well every so often. I think you're living a good life, right? That's it. Yeah. It's, everyone wants to wear leather and belts and be really cool. And I respect that. 
But from there, I kind of stopped watching in high school, focused on my studies, tried to be diligent. And then in my last year of high school, my best friend was like, oh, did you watch anime as a kid? And I was like, yeah, yeah. She was like, oh, well, I'm recently like getting back into it. Um, And I found this anime you'd really like about the Victorian era because I was obsessed with Victorian literature. Mm -hmm. She's like, it's called Black Butler. Oh, And I think you'd really like it. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. And oh my God, I was obsessed. This is back in 2012. This is over 10 years ago. I was like, like that anime started everything. My love affair. Really? So, yeah. so Black Butler was the, the re-entry slash gateway drug into your anime super fandom. Yeah, that was it. That was like, it was the, the combination of like animation and voice acting like of something so western of something that's so like no we know it only in like books right and films and plays and it was just such a great a great commentary i think on this culture it was very well done like like you just mentioned it's it's an interesting way to look in through that particular lens but it it narr- like it executes the tone so well it's easy to watch it tears on the heartstrings it makes you laugh you can cry you can be on edge like it is a really good melting pot of themes and like you said as well the animation style in it is very like it stands up today even though it's what 11 or so years back now it still holds up extremely well and the fact that like the manga is still being published like it's still being written so it's it's lasted so long and it's just fantastic. It really is. It's, it's yeah. something worth, worth checking out listeners. If you haven't gotten your, your eyes and ears onto Black Butler, please do so, but just make sure you watch this episode and listen to this episode in its entirety first, and then you can go check out Black Butler. So after Black Butler, where did your love for anime and manga take you next? Um, so I started watching kind of, the anime canon with my best friend so we watch death note and kind of those classics that you watch and then i started getting into seasonal anime things like k the i don't know what the english name is i just know what is k Let, let's we'll just stick it as k that's that's yeah. all i'm familiar with it as well like the, yeah the, the joys of either the english or the japanese name can lead to some confusing conversations where you'll reference a title and someone won't know what you're talking about and then you'll say it in the other language. You're like, oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so K, that anime about kings that was kind of silly and a little bit bad, but the animation was really, really nice. And basically what happened over that uh, holiday period between high school and uni, a week before... I was supposed to start uni studying media and communications. I turned to my mum and was like, oh, by the way, I switched my degree to Japanese studies. <laughs> and she was like, what? I was like, yeah, I switched my degree. Um, she was like, why did you switch to Japanese? You want to be a journalist? And I was like, oh, but like anime is cool. <laughs> I think that's more than valid. And so I, from there, I just, yeah, everything became obsessed with anime as like the core so anime anime is at the heart of this this love affair with japanese culture 
and yep. anime is yeah anime is the beating heart of it all and then everything just extends out from there yeah that's it i love that i love that so are you fluent in japanese can you speak japanese well? um so i am at a conversational level um i've been studying for 10 years i've taught english in japan i'm a japanese teacher in high schools as my like day job of course try and fit as much anime in my conversations with students as i can <laughs> I love that. I like that you just sort of subtly implanting all these great anime into your students to just randomly yeah. reference something in class that's unrelated to the topic, but just just plant those little nuggets in there, like osmosis style. That's it. That's it. They either love it or they hate it. As soon as I bring up anime, the whole class is in uproar. And then there's like the half that are like, yeah, that's so cool. Miss Watch's anime. And then the other are like, oh, I hate anime. And I'm like, I'll change that. Don't worry. Uncultured swines. <laughs> I love that though. So, so with anime, we know you've got a massive amount of love and adoration for the for the genre. But is there anything in particular that makes that heart of yours beat strongest? Like, is it sort of just the the themes, the animation, just the zaniness and the unpredictability? Like, what is it that uh, that sort of excites you the most about anime? I think I the main thing I think is the fact that it's an animated medium that can express so much like in Western culture, we talk so much about animation and it's really related to either children's media or really like weird adult media, like thinking of, uh, what was it? Hunger teen force that, that show that was on, um, adult swim. Yeah. Which, which, and it wasn't really the best either. Like, no, yeah, there's, it's just this void in a lot of normal society's awareness where they think your yeah, anime, it's either it's made for kids and it's real cutesy and, and whimsical and, and no real depth, or it's the other end where it's just full of smut and overall offensiveness and just easy shock value. But there's yeah. this sweet spot in the middle where everything else coexists and it's just magical. Yeah, that's it. And we don't we don't really get that in Western media. Um, we, we are a little bit more with... I guess you can talk about like Adventure Time and like Steven Universe and stuff, but even then they're definitely more on the uh, children's media side rather than something everyone can enjoy. Exactly. Um, so I think that's what it is. The fact that they can deal with so many themes and, you know, pull on your heartstrings and make you laugh and be a little bit weird sometimes. Um, that's what I think I love the most about it. I, I'm I'm in lockstep with you there. The fact that you can go from laughter to, to tears of happiness to tears of sorrow to just heartbreak almost in it like not only in a season but in an episode of these anime, like the roller coaster you get taken on is second to none and, and yeah, like live action films or even just yeah, like Western Western animation just can't hold a candle to what, what happens in anime. Like they can take you places that nowhere else can and it's it's very special. Yeah, that's it. And it, the animation as well is really big for me. Um, I don't often watch uh, like real, real life <laughs> media, uh, like TV shows because it's too real. Like I'm seeing real people. I'm like, no, I don't want to see real people. I've seen them all day. <laughs> I want to go into a fantasy world that doesn't exist or, you know, a classroom in Japan or whatever it is. Um, and you know live in my own mind there 
It's, it's, it's sort of like you're running your own little mini isekai with your viewing experiences where you're escaping into the anime to, to avoid the real world here. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, the real world isn't always the best. So I totally get where you're coming from there. But um, yeah, have you got any anything uh, as far as in the anime realm that, that you're not a fan of? Like, is there certain things that, that irk you or rub you the wrong way with anime? Like, as we talked about the loves, but what about the hates or the dislikes? Yes, um, I very, very rarely drop any anime series. Like, I am a seasonal watcher, and I will, even if it's bad, I will watch it till the end. But there are a few things that I've dropped that I very, very much dislike dropping, but I just mm-hmm. could not. Um, I just, there was one NTR. There was like an animation about like Netorare, which is like a weird kink. And it's like, it's not a, it's not like a hentai anime or anything. It's like a story anime, but it just was so, explored relationships in such a weird way that I was like, I can't, I can't watch this. (laughs) Oh man, it's too much. (laughs) It was, it was so weird because it was like teenagers as well. I was like, no, no, these aren't even adults. (laughs) That that's always the delicate part with anime is, is there's so many great stories that get shared and especially on the love side and the romance side, like there's so many, there's so many stories and, and romances that I get fully engrossed in, but then you take that second to step back sometime. You're like, oh, these are teenagers. Like I need to sort of relax a second here or stop yeah. with the adoration or the crushing because, you know, it's, I don't know, it's it's not comfortable sometimes. No, that's what it's called. Netsuzor Trap. That was... Netsuzor Trap. Okay. Yeah. It was just pushing it a little bit. And I'm honestly, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, I guess, like shonen fighting Mm-hmm. anime like I'll watch it like I'll watch Dragon Ball I'll watch One Punch Man and like it's cool because it's anime but I'm not I don't seek it out because it's very samey like I, I'll be watching a fight that goes for like 30 seconds and like 10 seconds and I'm looking at my watch like all right boys wrap it up <laughs> I got places to be I got other right? anime lands to escape to here I, I think I'm in lockstep with you with both of those as well as um yeah I'm I'm a serial seasonal watcher as well like once i'm in and even if the first episode is a dumpster fire i'm just like you know what i am optimistic that things will turn around for the better and my stubbornness will just push me through that season i'm rarely dropping anime once up once i've sort of pressed play for that first time for better or for worse and yeah. and yeah with with the the long played out fighting scenes you're like I'm, I'm not a big naruto guy i'm not a big dragon ball guy i can get behind one punch man just because i like the tone and it is funny and very different for that sort of genre but yeah the the ones where one fight can go for 25 episodes it feels like and nothing still gets done by the end of it i'm like nah, come on come on respect my time a little more please that's it and it's like sometimes i'm like i wish i could just like fast forward but then i'll miss the moment someone gets their arm broken or something and it's I was watching the latest episode of um, My Hero and it was just like, I was like, why why are we sitting here watching this fight again and again and again? <laughs> yeah, this, this season six, they've taken some liberties with the pacing of some of those fights and, and big 
big ability based payoffs there. Like, it's been great. Like there've been some big emotional moments in season six, but yeah, there it does uh, get a little disrespectful of one's time in this season yes. a bit. I've realised. Yeah, um, but I will say just a comment on my hero, even though that's what we're here to talk about this season. Just almost as good as season one. This has been my second favorite season so far. Honestly, I agree. I agree. I, and I love just the the tonal shift. Like it's gotten so much darker and so much more emotionally impactful. Like it is heavy and, and seeing some of the students just grow up instantly in front of our eyes has been great. Yeah. And the ascension of certain characters has been really cool and getting backstory on some of the villains. I'm been loving season six so far. Yeah. Season four and five were a bit of a snooze fest and I was like, oh. But I'd started it, so I can't drop it. I was like, I have to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are you are stuck on the track. You just yeah. got to ride this thing out forever now. That's it. All right. Well, let's let's shift gears. So, for anyone that hasn't listened to an episode of More Than Hentai before, the basis and the concept of this show is we, we've sort of been talking leading up to recording about trying to find an anime that uh, Courtney hasn't yet watched or something that may have been of interest to her or I'll just sort of take some of the pre-qualifiers from some questions that uh, Courtney answered and put a few recommendations forward and we'll try and find a a show that uh, we're going to watch the first episode of, unpack that first episode in full spoilery detail so there will be things in the plot points from episode one that we'll talk about here but we're not going to spoil overall narrative-based arcs and payoffs so don't worry we're not going to ruin the season as a whole for you but just wanted to to give the listener a feel and see if maybe this might be an anime that resonates with them as well as it resonates with hopefully myself and Courtney and then we'll talk about at the end if if it's hooked her enough but knowing her her viewing style now it feels like even though it may or may not she's long for the ride forever anyway so <laughs> you've got another 23 episodes to work through I'm stuck <laughs> Yeah, you are you are here riding on this science fiction roller coaster. But yeah, this this episode's title in focus is called Darling in the Franks, and it's a science fiction monster romance anime series co-produced by A1 Pictures and Trigger and animated by Trigger and Cloverworks that premiered in January 2018 and ran for 24 episodes. Also debuting that same month was a manga adaptation by Kentaro Yubuki, as well as a four-panel comic strip manga. It currently holds a score of 7.22 on my anime list, and that's based on 944,000 users. And the story of Darling in the Franks is as follows. In the distant future, humanity has been driven to near extinction by giant beasts known as Klaxosaurs, forcing the surviving humans to take refuge in massive fortress cities called Plantations. Children are raised here and trained to pilot giant mechas known as Franks, the only weapons known to be effective against the Klaxosaurs in boy and girl pairs. Bred for the sole purpose of piloting these machines, these children know nothing of the outside world and are only able to prove their existence by defending their race. Hero, an aspiring Franks pilot, has lost his motivation and self-confidence after failing an aptitude test. Skipping out on his class's graduation ceremony, Hero retreats to a forest lake where he encounters a mysterious girl with two horns growing out of her head. She introduces herself by her codename Zero Two, an inf- infamous Franks pilot known as the Partner Killer. Before Hero can digest the encounter, the plantation is rocked by a sudden Klaxosaur attack. Zero Two engages the creature in her Franks, but it is heavily damaged in the skirmish and crashes near Hero. Finding her partner dead, Zero Two invites Hero to part the mecha with her and the duo easily defeats the Klaxosaur in the ensuing fight. With a new partner by his side, Hero's been given a chance at redemption for his past failures. But at what cost, Courtney? So, Darling in the Franks, 
episode one, you take me on the journey with you. What were your thoughts? We could start from the beginning, from just a plot standpoint. We can go anywhere you want as far as talking about episode one of Darling in the Franks. So uh, lead me off. So I first of all, I really enjoyed it. When I when it first came out, when it first started airing and everyone was raving about it, I was like, hey, cool. It's going to be good. That was my just first like baseline thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was going back to watch, I was like, I'll just check the Mal score because Mal score means a lot in a weird way. I completely agree. Yeah, it's like it, there you can tell a lot of things about a show about its Mal score. Um, and when I saw a seven point two two, I was like, hmm, what's happened here? Because this show was much higher back in twenty eighteen. Um, so I watched episode one um, with my partner who's re-watching it. He was like, I really want to rewatch it. So it was great. Animation, fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, of course, Trigger though. Trigger and A1. Yeah, like like two of the, the pillars of the industry. like and, and Trigger especially, like Trigger can do no wrong. If, if I see Trigger attached to an anime, I'm like, I'm in. That's all it takes. I see Trigger, I'm like, let's go. <laughs> That's it. It's like Trigger aren't going to pick up like some weird manga that like no one knows, right? Or like some weird manga that will flop. Like they, they're going to pick up something good. So I was like, yep, good, perfect. Uh, characters though, in episode one, I'm like, this main character is a snooze fest. He'd always like just black hair, like plain looking guy. Like, a real Shinji Akari without the depth here. Ooh, excellent, excellent comp. Excellent comp. Like, I think this show, just from episode one, just from episode one, I see, on one hand, Evangelion, and I see, on the other hand, Urusei Yatsura. Uh, And it's, like, mushed them together into this weird dystopian universe. That's what I think. <laughs> I think, like, considering you've only watched the first episode, that is a, an excellent comp and an excellent observation. Yeah, like, Hiro, he is the very generic, mopey, downtrodden, heartbroken protagonist. He's, he's you know, he's got the, the standard, handsome features of most of the, the dark-haired anime boys out there, and, and he, he's very tropey. He's very tropey. Yeah, and I'm... My big thing was in that episode when he, when his partner that he failed the aptitude test with, when she's mm-hmm. going away and she's like sobbing, she's having the worst time of her life because this boy has ruined it. I'm wondering, my thing is, was it him not having the ability to pilot or was that something with her? And if it was something with him and not her why did she fail that's i'm sure it'll be answered but that's my big thing that i'm very curious yeah. about i i don't want to go into specifics to spoil anything but yeah this this sort of male female pairing that that is required to to i guess pilot these these frank's meccas is paramount to to the entire story the the theme of male female love uh, you know some of the other the other sort of themes that they're tying into, where because there's a lot of referencing in this first episode of a mythical Chinese bird known as Yan about 
this bird that is incapable of flight unless the male and female pair together and, and combine so they, they have their wings. Yeah. And and that is a that is a constant in regards to the cycle of life and, and future and, and getting to better better places. So that that is referenced a lot in this. Like straight away in the open we get yeah, zero two talking about it. And then Hiro mentions it and he actually finds a bird that tried to escape from a plantation because they're in a big glass bubble. The bird like tried to fly out as birds do in real life and just went whack into the glass and it got messed up and it's bleeding everywhere. The imagery of the the blood on the glass, I was like, I shouldn't laugh. I know it's supposed to be some serious, like serious, you know, foreboding imagery, but I laughed. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I, I had a bit of a chuckle when I rewatched it again today. Yeah, and then, and then yeah, Hiro's on this little exploration to try and find this bird and potentially nurse it back to health, and he's wandering around through. What a cringe lord! Yeah, he's, you know, well, he—I feel he sees himself as the bird. He's also oh the God. the young thing with the broken wing. We can both be repaired, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, so and then he stumbles across zero two, swimming swimming in the nutty in the river. And, yeah, they, they have that first interaction. What did you think about that sort of first awkward sort of teenage, young, lovey, awkwardy romance thing going on there? First of all, I was like, Trigger, stop animating teenage girls' boobs. <laughs> yeah, we, we get a pretty – we get a sexy, suggestive silhouette as she's sort of backstroking oh, through the river. God. And then she bursts out of the water with a fish in her mouth fully in the nud. Yeah, I was like, just – She's a teenager, as far as I'm, as far as I could tell. She's a teenager, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're all they're all in their teenage years. All the all the, like, ch- all the the children in air quotes. Yeah, all of the all of the children, the naked girl. I was like, okay, I'm gonna try and look past this because it's very typical. I thought, despite that, it was really well animated and really well done. Actually, I think it wasn't too suggestive. I thought it would be more suggestive, but. I did notice it was very uh, similar of the first episode of Urusei Yatsura where we see Lum and Ataru uh, catches her by taking off her bikini top and that kind of imagery of you see like the outline of the breasts like covered by something and I was like I can see how Urusei Yatsura has inspired this show so so much. I'm I'm happy they didn't go with the the old god god's race to sort of hide oh, the gosh. the nipples. They just went with the the perfectly placed hair. I'm like, okay, yeah. at least it's a little subtle in that yeah. regard. And then it's very it's very cheeky and playful there, where where Zero Two standing there naked in front of Hiro, who's obviously a very awkward young teenage boy. And then she she pokes fun at him, calls him a pervert because he's holding her underwear still randomly, and then freaks out. <laughs> it's so typical. It's so like. Like, I don't know, if that were me, if I were him and I saw a lady or a woman or anyone actually swimming in a river and I saw their clothes sitting by the side, I would not pick up their underwear. I would <laughs> I just not wouldn't. either. Like, <laughs> like, I'd be like, oh, someone's swimming. I'll go. Like, do teenage boys, is that how they think? Like, that's so weird. That, that's not how I think. Like, I can't speak for all of young male society but at least myself yeah if i stumbled across 
some clothes on a, on a on a riverside and saw some some naked person swimming, I wouldn't go. You know what? I'm going to go check out what they're wearing and maybe pick up some undies or take a trophy or whatever. Hito or these other young <laughs> pervs are thinking in their mind. I would not touch it. Like, I'd I'd say hello and and obviously Hiro thinks she's drowning, so he charges in to, yep. to try and save yep. her. It's not the case, and and Zero Two realizes that he is actually a nice guy and sort of uh, sees that he's genuine and he's not just some little pervy pervy teen. Yeah. And and then they have a bit of an exchange about um, how Hiro is no longer like what they're called a parasite, which is a, a co-pilot of a Frank's. He sort of says he doesn't really have it and he's struggling and he doesn't exist and very mopey, very well as me, downtrodden type of monologue he's popping there. Yeah. But then, you know... Zero Two gives him some words of encouragement about like, you know, if you don't belong here, build a place that you do. If you don't have a pilot, go find them, go grab them, go take them. And yeah, she, she's very forward and very confident. And I like that about her. Yeah, I, I really like it too. I think we need more um, female anime protagonists, I guess. I She's a protagonist. I think we need more like that. And I think you know, she reminds me of Asuka a lot from Evangelion with mm-hmm. her kind of like confidence. Um, we need that. We need to normalize yeah. it. I completely agree. And and, and then uh, yeah, Zero Two leans in and, and licks Hiro. And uh, she says his taste makes her heart race. And uh, it has a bit of a bite and it lingers on the tongue. And then she says, it's, it's got a taste of danger to it. And then she's like, you know, I'm not going to kiss you because you don't know what kisses are, but they're a very <laughs> special thing. And so Hero's little mind's racing and, and trying to work out what's going on. And then Zero Two holds out a hand and sort of like implying, come with me, let's get out of here. But then then the adults or the, the military adults come in and, and break up this little moment and, and drag them back to, back to civilization. Yes. Her... With her haunts, because the, the classmates who were discussing it, they had been talking about her um, and with the horns and then her with, like, the licking people and, like, taste of, like, humans, even herself, was really interesting because they had, at the beginning, as well, that imagery of, like, the orny, like, the red-skinned uh, person slash humanoid mm-hmm. creature I'm going to keep referencing Urusei Yatsura because this show has just taken so much from it. Um, the fact that, you know, she is like a little little demon girl with her klaxon blood. <laughs> uh, like, I've got to say, like, Klaxosaur is one of the worst, like, alien creature names I've heard in I don't know how long. Like, when it first got referenced when I watched it the first time, I'm like, come on. Who thought that would be a great name for this race? I just think it's weird because it's like, they were like Klaxosaur. I was like, oh, saw, like a dinosaur. It must be really old. Like, they even use the Japanese word for dinosaur, like, in, you know. So I was like, okay, it must be like a really, like, old lizard creature that's, like, lived in the earth for a long time and they're, like, dealing with it. And it comes out and it's like a weird, like, technology dinosaur. I was like, what is happening <laughs> Yeah, the, the the first viewing of a Klaxosaur we get, you, you get a lot of, if you're thinking of like the, like think of um, Pacific Rim and, and the giant ass kaiju and things like that. It's It's got a got a model ripped straight from Pacific yeah. Rim 1 or we don't really want to talk about the sequel, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's got that vibe. It's, it's 
like it's mecha in a way, but it's also a living creature. There's a lot of like the color palette super muted. It's a lot of gray yeah. and black, but then like these crazy pops of neon blue in it. It's it's a it's a very distinctive looking thing, and and they they specify like uh the you know Doctor Franks as he's called the the founder of the Franks, who's also like half human, half cyborg at this stage half his head's missing and it's all been replaced by you know metal implants and whatever else he, he sort of looks like the cousin of dr robotnik or dr eggman yeah. from sonic <laughs> and he's referencing uh yeah that obviously the franks are the only thing that can fight a klaxosaur talking about how there's different types of klaxosaurs and he references that this one's are a, a, a mohawk version blah 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 or whatever it is yeah and you're like okay so there's different ones different sized ones and, and all this panic is happening because there's this big graduation ceremony going on at the plantation where where the children in this group are, are, are getting to graduate and become parasites. So there's this big ceremony where all the kids are put in front of the adults and they think it's such a big deal because they idolize the adults so much. They're like, oh, just pay attention. Oh, father, it's, it's, it's okay. Like, it's all about dad, dad, dad. Like, they're, they're worshipping this old man. I was going to say, it's so weirdly religious, like the, even like the, are they like robot, like teachery looking people who are like running the thing in their like garb and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's <laughs> very is... cultish. Like yeah, they've, they've, yeah. They've got, yeah, the, the garb on like almost like a, a Pope attire robe with the big sort of space Pope hats on, but yeah. the kids are just in awe and worshipping and holding on to every word that these these adults are saying to them because they can do no wrong in their eyes. The kids yeah. are just like awestruck by them. I think it's um, also really interesting that we're, you know, we look at that relationship between like the children and the adults because anime so frequently looks at that, uh, I guess, power struggle. And um, I've been playing through Persona 5 and looking at... Um, you know, how the adults are, like, so corrupt. Like, it's always the adults are the bad guys, so it's really interesting to see that portrayed here, too. Yeah, every every adult in Persona 5 you cannot trust. They're all no. <laughs> sexual predators or criminals <laughs> or corrupt. Like, yeah, trust, trust no adult if you're in the Persona world. That's just yeah. sort of uh, rule number one. And, and, yeah, it sort of leans into this here where, yeah, these kids, unless... Unless they can pair up and become Frank's pilots, they're seen as worthless. They're nothing. Yeah. They're just scrap metal, really. And yeah. the fact that the kids are fighting for humanity, like they're raising these kids specifically to go to war and die, where the adults are just, I guess, getting fat and old and enjoying their religious ways, it's it's a yeah pretty pretty distinctive uh, yeah flip of the script with how well parts of our society works but it's definitely a common trope in 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 japanese culture in in film and games and anime yeah um i'm not like that by the way as a teacher i'm i'm a nice adult (laughs) i i get that vibe i get that vibe (laughs) i'm not corrupt i swear no no there's there's no corruption here on the podcast we're we're corruption free since uh yeah 2023 so don't worry about that but yeah so this klaxosaur bursts through it's it's trying to get into the plantation to to kill humanity i guess everyone's panicking half the kids that were there for the ceremony don't really know what to do should they go get in their respective franks and do something uh hero at this stage is moping around because you mentioned uh, Naomi, his his potential partner that they failed to connect with, to sort of I guess forge that forge that Frank's partnership. She's been she's getting sent off planet, 
So he's saying her goodbyes. He's been get, granted an exemption to either stay or he could go as well. But he's decided to go for, at that moment. But then, obviously, things go south. This Klaxosaur busts through, destroys this escape pod that uh, Naomi's in. And you're just like, oh, my God, you've, you've ruined this girl's life. And now she's just right. killed off in an instant for no reason. Literally, I was like, oh, it's so sad about her. And then all of a sudden, she's just like eaten by a weird future dinosaur. I'm like, oh, bye, Naomi. Sorry. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> nice knowing you, poor little brokenhearted girl. And and so Hiro is even more broken and, and down on his luck after this. And then, then it cuts. You see you see um, Zero Two piloting her Franks, but at first people are like, oh, is that another Klaxosaur? Because it's in like this feral mode. There's two modes for the Franks when the connection is de-established. Yeah, I was like, oh my God, this is like that Transformers show, the back from like the early 2000s. Yeah, it's it's like Voltron. Yeah, I was like, that's sick. (laughs) It's it's a really cool... uh, it's a really cool model and, and the, the art design on, I guess, the feral version of the Franks when it is, I guess, dehumanizing itself is, is a sight to, sight to behold. And it's, it's trying to fight this Klaxosaur to, to mix, uh, mix success. And then we find out that it does enough to sort of stun the Klaxosaur. But then the feral Franks that Zero Two's piloting, it sort of pulls up stumps because her co-pilot is dead. <laughs> you know, he can't, he can't handle anymore. So they, uh, yeah, he gets sort of kicked out, and, and I guess the the partner killer Monica lives on again, yep. and she's not sure what to do. And, and at this moment, sort of Hiro is right beside. They have a little exchange, and he's sort of saying these, you know, he's feeling he's got he's very powerlessness. He's down on his luck. He just feels useless. Just doesn't really want to exist anymore. And he's just seen a dead body. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah, a l- little bit shook. Just saw a, saw a corpse and and poor old uh, Naomi getting getting killed yep. in front of him as well just a second before. And he sort of starts demanding that Zero Two bring him on board and they can try and pilot this Franks together. She's hesitant at first, but then she sort of drags him in, pulls him in in this one big moment, gives him a big old smooch calls Hiro her darling. I love, every time she calls him her darling, my heart like skips a little beat. I don't know what it is, but I just love hearing that line in this show throughout the whole season. And it got me real good again in episode one. Another Urusei Yatsura reference. Perfect. Um, She refers to the protagonist as her darling all the time in that exact tone. And it's great. I I love it. I love it. got you as well? Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, it's it's so great. So they have this they have this embrace, they have a kiss, and then you can see the Franks start to light up and I guess deferral itself just as the Klaxosaur is awakening again. And then you see this big grand transformation with the Franks shifting from the beast mode to what they call the Iron Maiden version, where the negative and positive of the female and the male factors combine and their hearts become one so you can see the franks's true form it's it's a very big epic tropey soupy mushy situation but i love it it grows boobs (laughs) i was like i was watching the transformation and i was like that that's a butt and those are tits what the heck they sexualized that franks yeah i was like okay all right I'm glad that 
Zero Two and Hiro are happy. <laughs> I'm glad they can work together. <laughs> I've got to say, like, I love the transformation and I love the, the the mecha style of the Franks, but the one thing that sort of irks me with these Franks is that the Franks themselves then start showing emotion, like it's got a face and a mouth mm-hmm. and it talks and... That's the biggest part that throws it off for me. I'm just like, I don't know if that was needed. Like, it's fine yeah. and I can appreciate it, but I'm like, maybe not. Maybe not. It's especially after being like a a beast, like creature in the feral mode. Like, I was like, oh, like that was really cool. And then they really just humanized this robot after after calling these children parasites as well. I was like, can we mm-hmm. not can we not humanize the robot anymore? <laughs> Yeah, well, they, they talk about that and then they talk about as well, uh, it gets referenced, I don't think it gets referenced fully in episode one, but they talk about the, the female part of the, the pairing in the Franks as the pistol and then the, the male as the stamen, which is, you know, sex parts on a plant. So, yep. like, they're, they're yep. humanizing and sexualizing this entire process and you wait to see how they actually, like, when you're watching the future episodes, you'll see how they both sort of sit in the Franks and the positioning that they put the poor female in, it's like, come on, man. What are you doing? It's because Frank's the guy that made it. He's an old white man. Yeah, and he's a he's, bit pervy. He is. He's just a creepy old guy. I'm like, man, just stop making yourself a robot and let nature take its course. Yeah, like, like right in the opening sort of five minutes, he sort of talks about one of the, the lady associates that's walking with him and Zero Two in the <gasps> plantation about her ass and about, I think he, I can't remember if he grabs he, it. Or he if does, he, just, he grabs it. That's right. I was so mad. I was, I looked at my cat in that moment and I was like, <laughs> Mochi, if a man ever does that to you, hit him. <laughs> <laughs> Mochi just scared. nods like, yes, yes, yep. mother. Yep. She was just like, because she watches anime with us. She sits on the dining, on the um, coffee table and will watch with us so i love that i had to tell her i was like this is what it's like in the outside world <laughs> yeah it's it's a dark scary depressing unsafe space out there there's there's creepy half robot very old yeah. men that just grab cheek wherever they can and this is why we watch anime because the yeah. real world is too much yeah um, it's much safer on Crunchyroll. it is it is much safer i really liked uh, when they were fighting the um Klaxosaur, in when they like I can't remember if it was they were still in she was in her like feral robot form or they were in the Iron Maiden but the Klaxosaur's tail they like had this great great uh image of it it was like straight it was like a normal tail and then it just opens up and I was like that's so cool like the way it was animated was really good and the fact that it does it is like insane there's some really cool moments like avoiding spoilers, but there is some really cool, funky animations they do with different types of Klaxosaur throughout the season. And yeah, it's almost like a, an evolution where different weaponry becomes available through Klaxosaur where they change this and that. And, it, and yeah, it's like Trigger, Trigger just doing Trigger things, really. I, th- I think that's how I know it's a good show is when I can very succinctly recall like like shots, like frames in a show like that and it's like not even interesting stuff like it's not even like boobs or anything it's like a diet like a klaxosaur's tail like turning into a weapon like that 
the detail put into it was very, very good, really notable, and I loved it. Yeah, every, every frame tells a story, and it's it's got a lot of attention and care in it. And there's a frame just after that moment where they are in Iron Maiden mode and, and they do this one sort of rushing attack after sort of throwing their big lance-like sword into the Klaxosaur and they charge in and sort of penetrate this weapon even further. And you can sort of see in this in this frame where it cuts to the tip of the weapon, you can see it's impaled the core of the Klaxosaur yep. and that's sort of what, what kills the Klaxosaur and makes it emit just this giant blue bloody goo dust whatever. And, yeah, uh, it really it's a big kill shot. <laughs> yeah, it's very grand, isn't it? It's big and it bold, is. and it's it's great. And the color palette used in this show is great. Yeah, it's it's so bright, but really, I guess, maturely toned. I'll say um, the the colors they use, even just Zero Two, making her like so memorable. I think as a character, as a waifu. <laughs> She she's got a great look. Like she's got the, you know, the the real sort of soft pink hair, her her very vibrant red horns on top, and then the the big blue eyes, and even just the usage of sort of how they've done the eyeliner slash yeah. um, eyelashes, just a couple of subtle points. Like yeah, she's a great looking character. Definitely definitely waifu material. A real a really clean design. I think I think it's hard to find a waifu that has such. A really distinct but simple design. Yeah, she's up there. She's she up is. there. <laughs> I, I would certainly certainly die for Zero Two. She's she's great. And yeah, this this first episode is really great. And after that stabbing moment happens, it pretty much is, it cuts to credits, and we get a couple of uh, spoken lines from creepy old man Franks, where he's talking about that Zero Two is part of the Special Forces group, and that she carries Claxosaur blood. Yes. Yes, I I had to do a little double take there. I was like, obviously, there's something different about her. Um, but interesting that that was what the kind of twist is about her. I was wondering, um, just the imagery at the beginning, once again, going back to the Oni, like the Japanese demon, I was wondering if it's something to do with that. Like, is there some kind of mythological aspect to this? But the fact that it's there the blood of the enemy was really, really cool. I am not going to confirm nor deny anything you're uh, hypothesizing right now, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a great moment to end on. And then the very last line that we get in episode one is zero two saying, I found you my darling. And then, you know, episode yeah. over shift into episode two. So what are, you, what are your overall thoughts on Darling in the Franks after watching episode one? Are you, are you firmly on board here? Are you in, do you feel like that 7.22 is justified right now? Or maybe they're underselling it after episode one? I think it's underselling it for me after episode one. Um, but I, I think my concern looking at the score is because it's got 24 episodes I'm like, does it do that pretty typical anime thing where it dips around episode 17 through to 20? Um, and is that where the score has come from? Like, is that where the... Because I swear the score was higher when it first aired. Um, everyone was talking about it. Yeah, I, I don't want to say you're right or I don't want to say you're wrong, but th there is a couple of episodes that could have either been tightened up or 
scrapped all together where they are just sort of padding it out to get to that full 24 run. But overall, the the anime itself, it keeps a really good pace over that 24 episodes. There's some really good moments. There's some really big reveals. And the animation style still maintains just that high degree of amazingness that uh, that Trigger and, and Cloverworks and A1 have all sort of collaboratively put together there. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you stick with it. Even though we sort of buried the lead at the start where you said that you, you often do stick with a show for better or for worse, but hopefully you're sticking with this one for better. Yeah, definitely. I Can I just say, I I think it was a few seasons ago, maybe like one or two seasons ago, I watched an anime about men's rhythmic gymnastics called Backflip. <laughs> Though That's one of the worst ones. Um, that And there was a water polo anime. Why is it always a sports anime? I'm a sucker for a good or bad sports anime, and I will gladly stand by and say that Kaijo is fantastic. Give me weird <laughs> boob butt sports all day. It's so heartfelt, and I am all in on that show. I want another season. Someone give me another season of Kaijo. <laughs> I wrote about it in my Substack. I'm gonna plug myself here. I have my Substack where I write anime. I wrote about it in the the weirdest sports anime uh, piece that I wrote, and Keijo's up there. It's it spawned a whole new sport. Really? Yeah, they have actual so Keijo now. They wear like um kind of like padded. I guess it looks like armor <laughs> um on their hips and like chest to actually be able to fight, I guess, like they do in Keijo. It, it's so good. It is so good. Yeah, it's it's great. Uh, but Darling in the Franks, I'm sticking with it 100%. I love that. Have you got a, a favourite scene or moment that you wanted to, to reference or shout out from this this first episode? From this episode? Oh, I think I, li- I really liked the um, visual of the other students when they're kind of going up to their graduation ceremony and there's uh, I think Ichigo the girl with the blue hair she's like looking up at the sky and her partner is like telling her she's like oh you have to focus because the adults are like here Um, I thought that was really good and I think it just scenes like that give a lot of depth to shows like this and they really hint at a lot of things so I think there were a lot of scenes in the show, actually, in the first episode that were really memorable. Like, yeah, even they, just they... Talk, talking about the dinosaur tail. I was like, why am I talking about a dinosaur <laughs> tail? Because it was cool. Because it was great. Yeah, like, like it really sets the table for an exciting season and the characters you meet, like, all the all the kids that are ascending to parasites and, and becoming Frank's pilots, like, they're all beautiful and flawed and, and relatable in all their own ways. Like, you know, they're, they're just awkward teenage kids and you can see a lot of yourself in a lot of the characters and how they interact and it's very very relatable and it's just good 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 watching if you're thinking of looking at other shows that would be uh comparable for uh darling in the franks if we're looking back on my anime list neon genesis evangelion obviously is top of the pops there we've also got garen lagen and Eureka 7 and 86 as the top four there as far as comparable anime to check out if you are enjoying Darling in the Franks or you want something of a similar beat or a similar tone. But we're just going to now shift to the last word, which is presented by our friends over at Japan Crate. Experience Japan through snacks and knickknacks via monthly package drops courtesy of japancrate.com. So Courtney, give us your last word on Darling in the Franks. 
Um, a very modern take on the mecha uh, dystopian genre. I'm really, really looking forward to finishing it and seeing, I guess, the final message because there's always a message in these shows. So seeing how it pans out. Excited. I'm looking forward to sort of checking in with you as you as you navigate your way through these next 23 episodes and see where the temperature check is by the end of it and see if, if you feel in, fall in line with that 7.22 or if maybe you're going to be higher or maybe a little lower. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, it feels optimistic right now. It feels it overly positive after episode one. So there's a good vibe here about Darling in the Franks. Uh, but Courtney, this, this is getting to the end of the episode now. So I figure we'll, we'll throw the uh, floor over to you and you can uh, talk about where the listeners can find not only yourself, but also all the great content that you are creating on the regular. Awesome. Um, so obviously you can find me on Twitter at Courtney, K-O-U-T-O-N-I-I. I'm always open to talking about anime. Just DM me. I'll talk forever. You can also find me on my anime list. Like, seriously, add me. I want to see what everyone's watching. Give me recommendations. Um, my handle is sensei95, sensei with two eyes. Or if you are interested in my Substack, where I just write about anime, it's very conversational. It's very, you just will get an email at like, like once a week where it's just me talking about anime for like, 800 words um that's anime cafe you can check that out i love that i love that and hopefully in the not too distant future we might hear you podcasting in some form of another fingers toes and nose crossed so uh, hopefully that comes to fruition as well hopefully otherwise we're just gonna have to get you on here every other every other episode and we'll we'll talk about new anime that we've discovered i would love to chat i love talking about anime i'll go on forever it is the best. It is really, really great. And, and and listeners, if you are new to the fold or an experienced veteran of anime, fear not, because we've got you covered here. But in a favor, you can return to us. If you want to get some merchandise, obviously you can head over to shop8bit.net to get the best merchandise in the video game and pop culture universe. Be sure to rate, view, subscribe this podcast and all the other podcasts you listen to on the regular. Those ratings and reviews take no time, cost you no money and mean the world to podcasters like ourselves. So please do that and pay it forward. If you want to check out all the 8-bit related content, you can do so over at videogamesandculture.com. But yeah, that brings us to the end here. So whether your anime be subbed, dubbed, or still yet to come, enjoy yourself, stay humble, stay hungry, and much love to all of the gorgeous waifus out there. Courtney, thanks for stopping on by, but it's time to say goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me.